them. Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the 40th Psalm, Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Forgive me right away for, I, I, I don't do slides. I did these slides myself. I didn't know the Calvary Chapel of Virginia Beach is up there. I'm not trying to be vain. I'm not afraid to let you know I have done this message before, actually just last Wednesday night, but I changed, in the sense I changed as far as the title of it and everything, because I want to encourage you this morning on something I got encouraged with just last Wednesday night as we're going through the Psalms on Wednesday night. Psalm 40. We're just going to look at the first three verses. A Psalm of David. David likely is in his conflict with his own son, Anselm. That must be a horrible time. Horrible time to see your son rise up and come against you and, and, and threaten you and your kingdom and not consider your life. So in the midst of whatever conflict David finds himself in, whatever situation of, of, of issue and turmoil and trial, David, David not only writes these words, but he sings these words. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And it says here, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Verse 2, he brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And then in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you. Pam and I can be in a church that we know loves you and your word. So, Lord, this comes easy. Comes easy to to just exhort and teach and and just to encourage this wonderful fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Richmond. So, Father, let your word flow now. As beautiful as the worship that we, we experience, the children and their singing, the joy of the Lord. Is surely in this place. Now show us, Lord. Show us how you come and restore life back again. When we take the hits, when we take the hurts, when we have the unexpected happens, show us how you can restore life again. In Jesus' name, amen. No one would have obviously known or thought that months prior to something that happened in Virginia Beach over two months now, and that's the mass killing that I'm sure you heard about. It was only five miles from our church, pretty much on the same street as our church is on. And more than that, it was in, it was in our city. And I say our city because it's a city that I've come to love, my, my city, Virginia Beach. And, and to look at the television at, at the beginning of all this and, and hearing the police cars and, and the fire trucks moved by our church and by my own home, which we're right there near. Um, it was devastating to look at, and it was obviously devastating when they realized that there were, there were 12, 12 lives slaughtered. The way we chose to look at it was it's evil. That's what we're going to call it. It's, it's just evil. And evil is here. Evil is present. You and I would be naive to assume that. This world is without evil like that, and that's total evil. I encourage you to be honest with your children. Let them know evil does exist. God is greater, but there's evil that's in the world. It rocked us. You know, you feel violated after something like that. We had never had that. That was the stuff we looked at at the news, and we saw it happen in other places. It didn't happen in Virginia Beach. Now it's happening in our, our own town. There's a feeling of being violated. After you feel violated, then fear. 
fear overtakes you. The fear, the fear of, could, could this kind of thing happen in my job? Is there some, some person that's so warped in their mind, believes that's the solution, and, and they're going to visit my job tomorrow or, or, or my place of, place of shopping or whatever it may be? Fear overtakes in anger, angry. I, I remember just being mad. How dare this happens? I remember being that way with 9-11, too. I remember 9-11 really tweaked me, really tweaked me. And it wasn't any kind of thing of some, some racial bias or anything toward uh, the people that had a part into that and the religion that did. No, it was just, doggone it, how dare them do that with our airplanes into our building? I needed, I needed a restoring back then. I still remember that. And it was, it was something long coming. It wasn't something just instantly, okay, now I'm cool and I'm okay with it. But this kind of felt the same way. How dare this happen? So there's this anger that comes, this anger that comes. Now, as a pastor maybe looking at this, I'm looking at that, you know, all that by the grace of God we were able to pour out, pour into to a city. Something like this can just knock the wind out of what you did. Something like this could, could make you feel, again, like something, now your city has been violated. It's been raped. It's been, it's been totally just abused. And I, and I went out the Saturday morning after the massacre on Friday, and I stood out on my front porch, and my city didn't look the same anymore. The birds singing weren't the same. The, the big oak tree across the street didn't look the same. And, and I knew, obviously, that something was happening with me. I, I was going to need, I'm going to choose the word restored, life restored. That's what we're going to look at here this morning from Psalm 40. But, but I would have called it all kind of things, refreshing, renewing transformation of my mind because man I'm thinking of stuff I got a Puerto Rico trip coming up in a week maybe I just stay there and then but they're dealing with their own things man Puerto Rico's afraid now September's coming two years already without one but are they going to get another hurricane that will make them forget all about Maria so so you go everywhere you go something's happening now I'll tell you something Pam and I did that we had never done before because we never had, had, to, had to do it before. And that was to, first thing, we went to a vigil. Um, we went to a church. It's anyway, we're going to talk about singing a new song. The church was called New Song Christian Fellowship. And they're right near our house. Saw a sign. We went there to the vigil. We, we lit candles. And we prayed for the families of the 12 victims. And, and, and again, I never had ever done anything like that. We, we've had, you know, horrible incidences where policemen have been killed and things like that. I never was drawn. This drew me. This drew me to this. There was, there was going to need to be some kind of resolve in my life. And as good as the ritual was at the church, and I met the pastor himself, and I said, man, you got a, you got a good name for a church and what we're going through. He said, yeah, I know. Because, boy, we all need to be singing a new song after something like this. Second thing we did, we went to the memorial right there in front of the building, building two. And, and, and it was just, just all kind of flower arrangements. And there's a guy who goes around, and, and he makes these crosses, and he puts the names of the victims on the crosses, and there they were. There were 12 crosses. I just saw it with the Texas shooting that he had done it there. And here's 12 crosses with 12 names. People had put pictures of the, 
of the deceased under the crosses, on top of the crosses. But I did something, and it wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to institute anything ceremonial or anything. I, I just wanted to bring resolve to this. And what I did is I went before each cross, and I stopped, and I said the name of the person. I went to another one. I said, I just said the name. Pray for the family. And I did this with all 12 crosses. And then I just walked to my car. Walked to my car. But there was something still lacking. Something still lacking. And that's the very fact is, is that God has to do a work. God needs to do a work and has to do a work of restoration. David takes a hit here. Likely, again, his son. His son rising up against him. And he takes a hit, but he knows where to go. He goes to God to look for this restoring. This restoring. I want you to think about your hits and the hits and the hits you will take in the future. And, and, and just encourage you to move toward God's restoration from a hit. From something that strikes you. Something that hits you. Something that's stripped from you. Somewhere you've been violated. Someone has crossed you. Something has been unexpectedly come. And, and I want to talk about life restored by God. It's in our relationship. It's in a relationship with him. I want to have a walk with God that, that just draws from him everything I need to sustain. My gosh, I remind our congregation regularly, this is not your grandmama's world. This is a different world. This is a different thinking. This is a different culture. This is a culture that has no problem pushing back at God. And that's why we do need revival. And I'm praying, we're praying for revival too. Because we need God to move into this situation and change the climate. Change the atmosphere. And I'm just talking about right here where we are, where you are here, where we are in Hampton Roads. It's about letting God do a work. And, and the biggest thing I fear is, that we'll get in the way. Because we as Christians are notorious of getting in the way of something God does. And I'm just hoping you and I will learn how to step back and let God go and find people not only come to God, but a restoration of the church, of knowing all that the church is in Jesus Christ. And Let me share with you this Mark chapter 8, verse 23. Go ahead and turn there, would you? I want you to see this with your own eyes. Mark chapter 8, verse 23 to 25. This is a situation that's going, that Jesus is in where a guy needs to be healed. He's blind. Bethesda is the place. Just, Jesus came to there, and he comes there in verse 22. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 22. So he came to the Bethesda, that's Jesus, came there, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. They wanted him to, Jesus to heal him. So it says here in verse 23, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out to town. That's interesting there. That's interesting. Jesus, for some reason, some, some, some desire, says, you know what? I need to take you away from this situation and take you out. Take you out. And, and a lot of times restoring does happen when you get out of something. I, I was so grateful. Two things that came about right after the mass killing. Number one was a pastoral huddle that we had up in Lynchburg. Number two was a trip, a mission trip that had been planned a year ago to go to Puerto Rico. 
and, and it, it was something about getting away. I, the Sunday that we met after the shooting, two days after the shooting, the, the mass killing, it was hard. I was, I was just pretty much, and I ain't never said this before in 20 plus years, it was kind of good to get out of church. Because it was just difficult. You can, you can cut the tension with a knife. And, and, you, and you just just don't know what to say, you know, how to say it. We, we said things. We, we, we prayed and we done all that. And all that is good. All that is good. But I tell you, sometimes you need to be just taken away. And that's interesting. He takes this guy away, away from a condition that he's used to. It says in verse 23 that, that the blind man, um, that he led him out of the town. Then look at the next thing, the second thing in verse 23. It says this. And when Jesus has spit, or spit it, excuse my cussing, spit it on his eyes and put his hands on him. You know, I can't think of anybody else I would allow to spit on me but Jesus. <laughs> I, I just want to make that very clear. I, I, if I, if I, he can do it. I, I can remember the first time reading this and I like said, my gosh, this gets funny. That, only in the Bible you see that. I don't know. Did he just pull this up like... Or was it just, you know, just saliva, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> whatever it was, man, it, it was in the I want to let Jesus do that kind of stuff. He put his hand on him and says this, at the end of verse 20, 23, he asked him if he saw anything. Now, in verse 24, look what the guy says. He looked and, and he said, I see men like trees walking around. He, he's seeing this, this, this thing. He's seeing men like trees. So everybody's kind of tall and, and, you know, out of the portion. He's not seeing right. Now, now let me tell you what we're not seeing here because my Jesus don't make mistakes. You know, you can easily say, boy, bad day today, huh, Jesus? A little off today, huh? That's okay because nobody's perfect. Yes, he is. He's perfect. So I'm not going to give this to Jesus. I'm not going to say that Jesus is just like, oh, gosh, you know what? Sometimes you have good ones, you have bad ones too, Okay. <laughs> Let, let me just try this again. <laughs> no, Jesus don't mess up. Something has to happen. There's a, something of a restoring that happens. So we move on. Verse 25. And he put his hand on him and his eyes again, and he made him look up. So he's doing it again, and he's making him see again. He tells him to look again. And he was, here it is, verse 25, and he was restored and saw everything clearly. He was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I want you to be open in doing something, not only here in this message, but something I want you to be open to for the rest of your life. I, I submit to you with, and, and encourage you. Listen for Jesus to say, look again. Look again. What do you see? This is what I see. I see my city violated. For you, it's something in your own life that you see violated, something that you see that's been, been abused and all the adjectives I gave later. Um, Jesus would say in his loving voice, look again. I want you to see again. I'm, I'm going to touch you again, and I want you to look again. <laughs> and then in that second look, it says this guy is restored. And he saw things clearly. There was a restoration. Jesus is telling us all to look again from time to time because we need to. We need to. Let's turn back over to Psalm 40 and look again. And in Psalm 40, I want to just look to this verse and just 
take from this verse, and then we'll be done. Um, this conflict that, that David is in, whatever it may be, there is four life-restored things we see that are done by way of David and his commitment. First of all, number one, his commitment to wait for God. So number one is life-restored in waiting for God. Look what David says in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He says, I wait. Notice the word for. I waited for the Lord. And, and I'm not, it's not a matter. I'm not going to split hairs here. You can, I'm waiting, you know, on the Lord. Okay. I'm, but, but, but the word says for the Lord. I'm going to wait for God to move. And, and I believe that begins the start of restoration in our lives, the start of renewal, transformation, whatever you want to call it. And, and somewhere that you have taken a hit, your life has taken a Take it, uh, uh, has a violation to where, my gosh, you, you don't see right. You're like that guy. I, I see things like men like trees, but for you and me, it's other things we see. We see, and, and there needs to be a look again. But that look again won't begin until you and I come to a place of, and, and David says it here, until we wait for the Lord. We wait patiently. Notice the word patiently for the Lord. You and I need to wait on the Lord, first of all, patiently. Number one, for his will, his will to be done. Um, prayer, the, the, the core prayer, Jesus would say, you and I are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I, I, I don't have patience with so-called theology that teaches prayer is, is, is pretty much all supplication. And, and it is supplication. We're to ask for our daily bread. We're to ask for the things we need. I'm not denying that. But you know where I'm going to the point to where God is pretty much there to dispense whatever you want. He's just a glorified soda machine. You know, and, and, you, and prayer, when you think about prayer, you think about gimme, give gimme, give gimme give something. And, and that's been around a long time. That's been around a long time. The church has been allowing itself to be duped with that. When, when Jesus makes it very clear very clear. One of the most embarrassing times of the church, some of you old guys will remember, was the prayer of Jabez um, promotion and campaign. That's amazing that you take a prayer from a guy you didn't even know was in the Bible to one guy found him out. And here's a guy and he tells a prayer. He talks about God. In the prayer, God stretches my boundaries and give me things that I need and increase the grace and all that. And I'm thinking like, wow, it was a, it was a billion dollar industry, the prayer of Jabez. You get keychains and big posters and all kind of stuff. We Christians eat that stuff up. But, but what a slap to the face of Jesus when he told us how to pray. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. Prayer Jabez don't have jack about God's will ever being done. It's just a prayer that just pushes your agenda. And it just shows how insensitive we are to God's truth. We need his will to be done. I call it Strangely, the little house on the prairie theory. When the dog died, the church burned down, and the baby miscarried. Charles Ingalls, or the preacher, someone would say, it's the will of the Lord. And then they go on. They move on. I think there's some profoundness in that. I'm not suggesting God kills your babies. I'm not saying that. He's not out there killing kids. But things happen, and he lets them happen through his hands. And I think maturity comes to a point that says, 
Well, since it happened, it's the will of the Lord. What do you think about that? What do you think about it? It's not popular. It's not popular to, to give over to the will of the Lord a business that you put your heart into that now has failed. Okay, it's not some, some great effort you put into something, some great heart you put into something, and it doesn't come through. It ain't easy. It ain't easy to come to the point of realizing, okay, God has something else. But I tell you this, it's what gets you through. Read Job. Job trusted in whatever God wanted. And that's heavy. That's heavy. So wait for, wait for one, the will of God. Number two, this is the one I don't like, so I should skip it, but it's wait for the time of the Lord. Everybody knows God's slow. And he's slow because he says stuff like this. A thousand years are like a day to me. A day is like a thousand years. So you don't ever want to ask God to, or you don't ever want God to tell you, wait a minute. <laughs> Can be forever. <laughs> No, he, he, he says, wait, and, and there's a time. There's a right time for something. Whether you're pastoring a church and you really feel that the church and, and Pastor Tim and I have to deal with this and let God deal with this in our life, that we believe our churches should be whatever they should be more than what we may perceive they are, and then we have this attitude about God, and God comes back and says, do you believe I have an appointed time for you? Do you believe I have a will for you? Yeah. Well, will you just accept my will? I've had God ask me many times, Thomas, if your church never grows one more person, will that be all right with you? I try to change the subject with God when he does that kind of stuff. God, what do you think about those Redskins? <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I don't do that, but I try to change the subject. Just try to change the subject, man, because I haven't got to that point. I want to get to that place. To separate my ego from whatever I perceive my church should be, or its size or impact in the community. But I'm sure you have yours too. You have your things too. Things that you have to wait on God's time for. So it's waiting for God's will, God's time. Here's the third one God's way. His ways are not our ways. We find it out normally in the situation, don't we? And then fourthly, God's glory. God does things for his glory. It's in his will, his time, his way, and his glory. Look at the screen. It's James chapter 5, verse 8. James says here, you also be patient. He's talking in, in verse 7 about how farmers have to wait for the first and latter rain. How they, they just can't push the, a farm. A good farmer can't push things. I wouldn't make a good farmer. I like my microwave. He says... <laughs> But you be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You, all, you also, you be patient. I want you, to, I want you to just seek the Lord out, and you already know probably something he didn't necessarily have to reveal to you, what you need to be patient in. But what a blessing to know that in being patient, we also need to establish our hearts. I need to establish my heart that God is Good in this. We just sing that song. God is so good. Okay, he's not going to withhold anything from me. He's not going to play favorites to other people. Why is the church down the street? They just keep growing like crazy. We got a church that shadows our church. It's so big. <laughs> you know? 
And, and, I, and I look at it and I say, my gosh, God, do, do you believe in me? Do you believe? Will you just wait on me? And will you establish your heart in the truth of who I am? Thomas, I'm bigger than you having whatever you think the expectations Calvary Chapel Virginia Beach should have. I'm bigger than that. And you got to see me bigger than that. Are you going to struggle? You're going to struggle. And you will continue to struggle, and you will continue not to have my joy. Holy Spirit's made that clear to me. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. His coming, the connection of his coming, of just him coming to us, the second coming. Man, I I need to just trust and hope in that. And I want to love. I want to love his appearing. That's what the Bible talks about, loving his appearing. I want to do that. So number one, life restored in, in the fact that you and I can wait for the Lord. Number two, life restored in knowing God hears. Look at verse one also. David says, I, I waited on the Lord. He, and he says here, he inclined to me and heard my cry. David is restored in, in, in this or restored in his life, his relationship, his walk, his, his connection with God. He's, he's restored in just the fact of knowing, because David writes it here in verse one, in verse one, that God hears him that God has indicated that he hears. And what a neat thing for us, you and I, to to look to the Lord, to give, and and you and I to be sensitive to be able to uh, not just understand but be aware of is knowing that God hears you, that that when you cry out, he does hear you. And that goes a long way. We we ain't even got to no kind of answer yet. No, we ain't got to the answer, but my gosh, he's heard. And And there's a blessing and a confidence that comes into the very fact he, he hears. Ask God to help you recognize that when you pray, your heavenly Father's heard you. I know what the word says. I know the word. You know what the word says. You're a well word taught church. You know it says he hears our prayers. Praise the Lord. We pray according to his will. He hears us. We know that. We know that we're more and better than more important than birds. So, so God's going to listen. He's our Father. He's going to hear us. But sometimes my heart is not signaled with that. Sometimes my soul doesn't. God, do you really hear me? And having, again, that, that in indication, having that sense of awareness and being informed that God does hear from us. It's on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 2.13. Let me share with you something I believe that's very important. And that, that's you and I understand where, where we need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us different things. Pastor Tim and I were talking about this last night because I believe it's, a, it's really a, a, important. And, and it's important because of a, of a foundational verse just like this. It says it. Um, and, and what the verse says is, is that we have to be sensitive to Holy Spirit taught things. Paul is talking here to this church in Corinth, and he says, these things we also speak, look what he says here, not in word which man's wisdom teaches. See, you, Pastor Tim and I can come, we can come at you with, 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 with the word of God and teaching the word of God. And, and sometimes it's not enough. It's just not enough. So Paul says it's not enough. Look what he says here. But we don't come to you with the wisdom of man's teaching, ability to teach, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. And then look at the next words. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. When it comes to you and I being able to recognize that God hears us, the Holy Spirit has to teach us on how that is 
that is that that is happening. Excuse me. The very fact that he is hearing that there's a there's a signal to your soul. There's a word to your heart that God would say, I hear you, my son. I hear you, my daughter. And it's a good thing to have. And David had it. David had it. Again, we ain't even got to a place now where David is, is getting the, the answer. Are you going to take care of Anselm or whatever issues in my life? He ain't got to that. No, David is satisfied very much that you heard me. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What a scary thing. I think God won't give attention to our cries. God does give attention. And, and I want you to be encouraged to be more open, be more sensitive, like we all need to be is having this Holy Spirit talk. Now, this is the new covenant we talk about in the Bible. You, again, you've been taught, you know, you read. Um, the prophets, two of the prophets made very clear that the, in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit would speak to us and teach us. He, we won't need the law on tablets. He'll write it on our hearts, okay? That's a new covenant. That comes with this new covenant that comes with Jesus and the baptism with the Holy Spirit that comes with everyone who trusts Jesus. And moves in that thing. And there is a, there is a, a blessing and, a, and, a, and not just power. I'm, I'm all for the power too. But I tell you, I need, I need the teaching. I need the Holy Spirit to tell me stuff. Because I'm not getting it all the time. And again, I'm into the power. But most people you talk about, well, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do for you? may speak in tongues. And I speak in tongues. I believe in, and I know it's there. I know the benefit of edifying myself and speaking a language that I've never been taught before. Okay, but, but we're missing something here because this goes way down in the list of, of Holy Spirit experience is the fact that, that the Holy Spirit wants to show you, teach you. Jesus said this, he would teach you, the Holy Spirit would teach you all things. You don't need to be insecure being a new parent. If you're in here today, Jesus, the Holy Spirit will teach you to be a good parent. All things, man, that is cool. You know, so it's this Holy Spirit, and we see it all the time. We see the church in Thessalonica. Church in Thessalonica was barely two years old, and Paul told them, I don't need to teach you. God's teaching you this stuff. That's amazing. Two years old. We used to think a person is really a mature Christian when they got at least double digits. How long have you been a Christian? You know, whoa. They were just Christians just a couple of years. But they moved in that teaching power of the Holy Spirit teaching their life. And then 1 John says it, that, again, the Holy Spirit teaches you all things. So you're not, you're not ignorant to it. I, I just say it in the light of this thing about knowing God hears you. I think that's a big deal, and that's very important. Number three, moving on, of four, verse two, life restored in deliverance, in the deliverance of God. Life restored in deliverance of God. Jesus, Jesus is our deliverer. And what a blessing we have him. Look what David says in verse 2. He also, first of all, brought me out of the horrible pit. I don't know what situation you're in, but David was very, very, very explicit and graphic about you know, stuff. He was the metaphor king. So he talks about in this metaphor, in this word analogy, this word picture, he talks about here that this is a horrible pit. I pretty much think any pit will be horrible. I don't like to be in pits. David's talking about a horrible pit here that, that he's in, that he's with, but he says, here's the thing, God brings him out. Your pit, your pit can be whatever. It could be a horrible pit of depression. And you just can't stink and shake it, man. You just can't shake it. Yours may be addiction today. 
You don't want to. But you're addicted to this stuff, man. You're addicted to it. But God can deliver you. God wants to deliver you. And he's able to take you out of that horrible pit, whatever it may be, whatever it may be in your life. Look at the next one. He says, not only a horrible pit, but out of the miry clay. That's, that's just being trapped. That's like quicksand. You're just trapped by something. Trapped in issues. There's the, there's the clay of issues that just happen in your life and unresolved matters that just trap you. God can come. God will come. You, you, you trust him. You wait on him. He'll come and take you out of that. Praise the Lord. Now, he ain't finished yet. After he delivers us out of the horrible pit, <coughs> excuse me, and out of the miry clay, he sets my feet on a rock. That's the way of stability. We know the words are rock. You bet it is. But, but setting your feet on a rock, he pretty much, again, gives a description of something that is so metaphoric but yet powerful. In his, he says he's going to set my feet on something that doesn't move, the unmovable. Because everything's been shifting up until now. For David, it's been shifting. Life's been shifting. But now God has, has put his foot, and he describes it here, his foot upon the rock. And then the last thing he says here in verse 2, this is deep. And establish my steps. He's taken me out of the pit, out of the clay. He's put my foot on the rock. Now he's establishing my way on, my way through, my way out, my way over, whatever it may be for you. You're not meant to stay there. You're to be over there, wherever over there is for you, but you find yourself here. This is where I'm at. I'm here. I tell you, and, and let it be any area of your life that you know God. You know God would say, I want this for you too. What do you want, God? I want you to be there, not here where you are. I want you to be there. This could be issues of health, issues of your own vocation, promotion. Yeah, it is. It's that good stuff. But stuff that we learn to kind of just settle with. And a lot of times we settle for. And the Bible says... We have not because what? Oh, come on. This is Calvary Chapel, Richmond. We have not because we have not, right? <laughs> we have not. And, and a lot of times I end up just staying in a situation of despair and a situation of, of bleak and depression or whatever it may be for you. When God, yes, I would want this for you. And it's not about saying it. It ain't about confessing, over confessing stuff. No, it's about believing what God wants. And he established our steps. Steps mean forward. It means moving. And God wants to move it all of our lives, praise the Lord. God wants to move all of our lives. I, I tell you, while I was in Puerto Rico, it was like kind of easy to think, like, well, maybe uh, I should check out one of these islands. And, and, and you know what? You don't even have to form that stuff with your mouth. You just say it in your heart, and the Holy Spirit's just real quick to say, not you. <laughs> I didn't call you. And it's that, note of it. it's, it's that whole point of noting the fact of, of Jonah. <laughs> you teach on Wednesday night, aren't you, Jonah? Back to Nineveh, huh? 
Wednesdays, yeah. Back, back to Nineveh. What are we going to do now, God? What's going to happen now? Okay, first of all, I'm going to continue to still be God, and you're going to go back to Nineveh. We're going to do this over again. I only got four chapters to do this with. Short book. So you got to get moving. And, and, you know, and I can look easy at the scope of my own life. I tell you, I look at the scope. My, like, my, I just turned 60 last year. And, and it's amazing how when you turn 60, I don't know if you, I've only been 60 once in my life. So you just, when you turn 60, you think of, um, wow, you know, I really don't, you know, if I get, if I got 14 years, if, the Bible says you can get 74. If I get, I got 14 years. Now, I, I reduce that to make me more depressed and say, I don't just have 14 years. I got 14 times, like Christmases. Like birthdays, I only got 14 more of those. See, and you can just just stab and just kill all <laughs> this joy in your heart, you know, by doing that kind of stuff. But but life is short. Life is short if you're 16 years old in here. Let me tell you, who told you you have forever? They lied to you. Oh, you have all your life. How do you know what all your life is? <laughs> Don't let people dupe you like that. No, it's important for you and I to be on it now. Jonah had four Forge, I didn't have a lot of time to get this thing done. And there are things that you and I need to do, too, for the glory of God. And that's why we have to move on, steps that move us on. He establishes our steps. Thomas, I want you back to where I called you to go. Move on. Get back there. Do that. Last thing, and then we're done, is verse 3. Life restored, not only through waiting on the Lord, not only through knowing that God hears, not only through being delivered by God, but number four, life is restored to us when God gives us a new song. Isn't that neat? David says, he put a new song in my mouth. Notice the indication of the grace that God put the new song in his, in his mouth. Um, the song would be, he says there in verse three, it would be praises to God. It would, so it would be a song that would not only recognize God, but give glory and praise to God. Uh, it's a song of witness. Look what it says there. Uh, many will see it in fear. Um, it, it, in, in this song, in this song in my life, it, it'll be my life, not only just my song, but my life will bring people to, to see it and fear God. And then at the end, look what it says there. They'll, they'll trust in the Lord. Souls will be one. Souls will be one. When God puts a new song in our heart. I. I, I could easily, let me just ask you something I need to ask myself real easy. When's the last time God's given you a new song? And it's not that the song you're singing is stale, but it's not a new song. It's not a song that's going to move you forward, move you out, move you over. The power of song, and I, I know you know it, you, you have a, oh, you have a very, very, Wonderful worship leader who takes you deep into a relationship with God through the songs. Just the songs we heard today. I never heard these songs. And just powerful. And you're blessed to have him in the group here doing these, priming you to praise. But, but, but yes, with this, with all the blessing of corporate praise that we can do together, there's also that individual praise, being able to sing like that dumb marking bird in my neighborhood, he sings at night. <laughs> Stupid bird. <laughs> no, maybe not, huh? 
Because he sings in the anticipation that the sun's going to come up. He ain't a dumb bird. I'm the dumb one. <laughs> and if I can learn to just start singing in the night, man, it changed my life. Let him give me a new song. You know, my little, my little show business stench. I came up in the 70s, and, and the 70s was, was really the launching of of um, a music background, uh, soundtracks for music. I mean, there was, there was stuff like, you know, Rocky probably was one of the biggest ones of where, where music was used to drive the movie. And you saw that with Rocky. You saw it with Jaws, too. Boom, boom. <laughs> and you knew when you heard that, boom, boom. <laughs> that girl going to die. She don't know she's going to die, but I know she's going to die because the music told me she's going to die. I told you. And it was, it, the 70s were a time of that and, and, and pushing that kind of stuff. I, I, I believe that you and I need a, a song of soundtrack that God gives and it, you know, it's not going to be necessarily a song like Rocky or anything like that. And it's not necessarily something you have to pin or compose or yourself. No, it could be something from, from, from your worship leader or something that comes from, you know, Chris Tomlin or something. And, and, and it, but it's new for you. It's a fresh song. New song means fresh song. And I knew that I wasn't going to make it through this little minor thing compared to what Parents had to deal with him burying their children and husbands burying their wives and stuff. Man, I was light. This, this mass shooting, I didn't know any one of them personally. But if I was going to ever get through this, it wasn't going to happen without a new song. It wasn't going to happen without me singing something. And I knew, I knew that when we went to that little church for the first vigil. The church was called New Song. It's called a new song. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. We'll close there. Peter's talking here. Peter's getting his second sermon up. Peter's on a roll. He's filled with the Spirit. He's a different man. And in the midst of this sermon in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter says something here, and it's one of the few times that, that this, this point is talked about, and this point of, of refreshing, restoring is talked about in the light of salvation. It says here, repent, therefore, Peter tells them, now here's what you need to do, you who don't know Jesus, you need to repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And, and you, you heard, you heard that from Trevor today. You heard Trevor say, and you heard the, the pastor say up here, that if you don't know Jesus today, you know, what in the world are you waiting for? You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today? And it's not to scare you and say, you, you know, and the preacher could do that. Oh, you don't know about tomorrow. You know how many people, you know, die or, you know, okay. not even going that way with it. No, it's going the way with this very fact is, is that today is the day. When you hear the gospel, it's good for you to respond to it. So, so let me give you the gospel, two words. Jesus saves, and he'll save you. He'll save you from your sin. Your sins will be blotted out. Now, either one or, 
One person or another is going to hold for your sins, either you or Jesus. You can give them to him and let him do it. But if you have to pay for your sins, you don't have enough. You don't have enough, and you will perish. You'll perish in a place that was never designed for men. It's a place called hell. And it's, Jesus said, it's, gosh, it's, Jesus described it as gnashing, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. You know, it's one thing just to cry at something. It's nothing to wail. You wail from your soul up. And it says, Jesus says it's going to be such a place of torment. People are going to be gnashing their teeth together. Because it's so bad. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to go to hell. I'm sure people have told you in your lifetime, go to hell. But you don't have to go. You only choose to go by rejecting Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus saves from hell. Now, now some of you heard that. It's 1202. No, and your clock says 12 on the dot, so I got another minute. 12.02. You, you, you heard that. I pray you would receive Jesus today. Receive Christ today. Now, look what's going on. He says, now those who are saved, when their sins are blotted out, after they've repented and been converted, they would have, look what it says there, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, come from just God's presence. <laughs> Over at Tim and Sarah's house, we stayed in a room last night that had on their walls these words, relax, refresh, and renew. Man, I tell you, being at their house, I sure got that. But, I, but we can get it even more with the presence of the Lord. I leave you with love from Calvary Chapel, Virginia Beach, with our prayers. Continue to pray for us and with the hope that you will let God in these last days continue to restore you. Because there's going to be more stuff that's going to make us afraid, going to make us doubtful, going to make us question going to make us wonder why Jesus hadn't come back. Going to make us wonder if he even cares at all. But it's only someone who is restored in what we learned from David. They'll keep their barons right. They'll sing with a new song. In spite of what they're going through. The Psalms tell us that Israel was provoked and they were taunted to sing while they were in cap captivity to Babylon. And sing us one of those songs. Remember those songs of Zion? Let's get a song up now, guys. Let's get it up. And they said, how can we sing a song in a foreign place? With God's help, you can sing it. I can sing it in a foreign place. With the Holy Spirit's help. Amen. Amen. May he be our help. Bow your heads, would you? Let the Holy Spirit make firm, make true, come alive. Just the words of the Bible, your Bible, the book, God's book. I just pray that you would 
let that continue to always happen as I know you do here at this wonderful fellowship you go to. God wants to restore you. Restore life for his glory and for your good. Father, thank you so much for your word. We give you all the praise and glory. And we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Now, Lord, as we just sing to you now, fill this place with your presence. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And for those who don't know you, I pray that they would make contact with someone here today and confess the truth. They need Jesus. Thank you for this church. Bless it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir.